The ICO Alert Roundtable podcast is a casual discussion between members of the ICO Alert team. At no point is anything said in this podcast to be construed as legal, tax, financial, or investment advice. For sake of transparency, it's safe to assume that the people on this week's podcast own all of the tokens or digital assets discussed. Coming in, Dina. Can't do the double guns. No, I'm the double guns. That's Q's move. Get oh, your own man. move. Guy. How you doing out there, folks? Hey, I'm, hey. I'm just peachy. How's Dimitri? I'm doing great. Dimitri. <laughs> Dimitri. That's what the Uber calls you when they get, when you get dropped off. Yeah, I already got used to that. Is that what Siri's name is for you? Huh? Siri. 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 Dimitri. 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 So, uh, Dimitri. Yeah. You work here at ICO Alert with us. You haven't been on the roundtable in quite a while. Why don't you uh, like let the folks know who you are? What qualifies you to be in the presence of these masters? Not much. Yeah, first of all, like I say, it's a pleasure <laughs> to be with the roundtablers here. Uh, I popped into a previous episode one time for a little bit. Yep. So that was pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm here, uh, global sales lead at ICO Alert. So I work with clients, uh, ICOs, help them on fundraising model and so on. Nice. Dimitri is also our resident uh, trader or former trader that likes to put down <laughs> yeah. uh, the knowledge on Wall Street uh, in the office. Yeah, I have a little bit of experience in a, in a trading environment. So I spent five years working for a Wall Street broker. Mm. Um, it was quite of an experience. And it's interesting to see how this crypto market is developing certain traits yeah. that resemble like FX market, for example. So, yeah, that's mm. what you were in primarily, correct, Forex? Yep. Nice. See, we like to have people on the show that are smarter than us. Mm. It's, not, it's not hard to find. Uh, and so Dimitri over here, he's he's mm. got that that trader. He, he was on the trading desk, like he had a Bloomberg terminal at one point that he used in his how, daily life. How many t- how many uh, monitors do you have up at one yeah. time? I got up to three monitors. Three monitors. Yeah. Up to three. Yeah, mm. that's pretty good. Usually, it tells you how good of a trader you are yeah. based on how many monitors you have. You ever see a guy with like seven monitors? Yeah, yeah. That, that was, he was the chief of trading. <laughs> That's yeah. how I would get a job on Wall Street. I'm like, I got eight <laughs> monitors here, not doing shit on any one of them. <laughs> like, you go in for a job interview on Wall Street, and they're like, how many monitors you use, kid? Uh, I got three. It's weak. Get weak. the hell out of here. Weak. Get out of my office. All right. Anyway, we are back. ICO Alert Roundtable here. Uh, welcome to another week, another show. If you are not in the Roundtable Telegram, I advise you, highly advise you to get in, but uh, no bullshit. You better enter and you better participate because there's going to be a little goodie bag going out to people, and that's going on next week. Santa's grab bag next week up to how how much is it now? The last time I checked, the dollar value was up to about 180 bucks. so mm. it's a bunch of, we called it an, initially a shitcoin grab bag. People were just making donations. Mm. We're very grateful to everyone out there making donations. Uh, and we're going to just randomly select someone to give it away to. There's also an EOS grab bag that we haven't paid as much attention to because, you know, we're not the in-house EOS ninjas like those guys on everything EOS. True. Uh, But there's going to be two giveaways um, for next week. So if you're not in the Telegram, I'll put the link in the description for this YouTube video. Please join, and you'll have a chance to win. Did we talk about how we're actually choosing the winner? How about, like, are we going to put the names in a hat? How am I going to (laughs) win? Uh, Dimitri cannot win. We're not cheap like that. We're not going to ha- pull some, you know, what was it? Wal- Walton chain. Walton chain where somebody from inside the, the house wins the pot. Uh, we'll probably use like some online 
randomizer selection thing. Okay, cool. So I think That's there's great. 61 people right now in the roundtable chat. Mm-hmm. So you've got a one in 62 chance if you join. And we got to drop out a couple people because they're members of ICO Alert. Got it. All so, right. Awesome. Go ahead. So let's let's move on to this week's show. We got some comments from last week. Want to give a big shout out to these guys. Uh, Q, go ahead. Lead us off here. So I'll start with Rob Kruger. Uh, he said, I'm tired of the whole gaming slash gambling use for blockchain. Hopefully an EOS or Tron, uh, I guess it's a typo here, can provide the structure for actual use case for blockchain. So that's interesting because we've been talking a lot like I like we talked about on last podcast, we've been talking a lot about gaming and gambling DApps, uh, and this guy wants to see more uh, of something else. Yeah, more of something else. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't want to see more gaming <laughs> or gambling. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? His comment. I think it's interesting to see like the first development of apps is actually gambling because I think it's easy to set that up. Mm. So I think the the templates and the infrastructure is so easy to set up, and it's also catchy. A lot of um, users, you know, in our community like the. I guess gamble, yeah, like yeah. trade, right? So I think the easiest thing to roll out right now on these networks is something like this, and it actually tests like you know all the infrastructure, like you know the transactions per second and so on, like or whatnot, you know. The, yeah. So it's a, g- a good way to kind of benchmark it, and then um, obviously, if you want something like a, a better game, you know, it takes time to develop. You know, just True. look at right. major games that have been developed; it takes years, right? But everybody in crypto community wants now, you know. Yeah, it's a fast-moving industry. And Rob, we want other dApps too. We're not right. all about this gaming and gambling. I, although we we like them, uh, it's not like we want it to s- like only be gaming and gambling dApps for the next six months. We want cool new apps, cool new dApps to come out. Uh, you know, on these protocols, and we want to test them. I agree. I agree. Uh, and and as Dima said, you know, it's it's so easy for everyone to get hyper involved from the get-go when someone has an idea in the crypto space and everybody thinks that this is going to be the next World of Warcraft tomorrow. But even traditional tech stack games and normal games that are developed by professional studios take years and years of development. So, And I think that's part of the reason why you see the hype in, hype in bubble burst cycles in crypto is because a new technology comes out and Everyone understands the foundation, but they think that immediately you're going to get that next layer of operability on top mm. of it, and it really takes a long time to develop stuff like that. So I think that might be kind of why you see the boom and bust cycles that we do see in crypto. So moving right along here, uh, we've got Triple A Investor. Triple mm. A Investor, he said, can you talk about Fastwin next podcast? This is uh, his second time, right? Commenting about I think Fastwin. he's a big Fastwin guy. <laughs> That's my burner account. So tell them about Fastwin, Q, because yeah, you're, you're more experienced at this as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it short on Fastwin, only because we have a new series starting, That Dap Guy, and I'm going to cover Fastwin as the first kind of Dap highlight. So the only thing I'm going to say about Fastwin today is check out Maple Leaf Capital's tweets on uh, you know the, the announcement t- this morning. Uh, Maple Leaf Capital, I, I think it's one guy. It might be you know uh, more. It might be a group of guys. Um, but for the most part, I've talked to him a couple times. So it might just be one guy. And he basically is like the guru of the gambling dApps right now. So if you don't follow Maple Leaf Cap, uh, give him a follow because he has all the you know real cool knowledge on this. But essentially what Fastwind did this morning was announce that, one, they got $3 million of funding uh, from some Chinese uh, gaming fund. And then uh, they also uh, got 
a license in Australia, a gaming license. Ah, that's so, big. Yeah, two big announcements from Fastwin. Uh, they also kind of rolled out another section of their game. It's kind of like a pay-to-win now, uh, the pay-to-win model. So essentially, you could they, they listed a new token overnight, again, because that's apparently Fastwin's <laughs> thing. Uh, it's called Slime T. Uh, and you can go on to Nudex, and it's there. Uh, you can purchase the Slime Tea, I believe. I don't think you can win it through the game. Uh, and you get, uh, once you have a 1,000 Slime Tea, you get a new character. Like, your character evolves. And now it does more damage. Uh, it has uh, more of a chance to kill the bosses. Is it one of those games where if you have the striking blow on a character, you could win the pot? That's that. It's exactly what okay, it is. Okay, I think I've seen you playing that one a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly, with game, the little characters the and stuff. Yeah, yeah so they're going to do a lot of things. Gaul had an actually good term for this. It's called gamifying. So they gamified their gambling dap. It used to look just like bet dice. But what they're doing is gamifying it, so now they have like pay-to-win things. So if you purchase a knight, or I mean it's an archer, but... Essentially, if you upgrade your unit, you have more of a chance to kill the boss, which has more of a chance. That means that you can, you know, if you kill the boss a number of times, that multiplies your fast. Right. Because you're mining. So now, is it um, like there's a, you, you as a player, as mm-hmm. a user, you're an archer or whatever, you're shooting an arrow at the boss, and then or is it turn based? So everyone takes a turn, and you've got a greater chance of killing the boss because you can do more damage? So the more EOS you roll uh, per roll is more damage. Okay. Uh, it's not. It's not really turn based. It's just like e- imagine like everyone rolling at the same time and everyone's ki- tr- like competing to kill the boss. Yeah. So they they also have rewards for like doing damage and stuff like that. So they're doing a good job. I, I said this morning on my Twitter that I like what Fastwin is doing, but it 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 might be the whole gambling DAP industry right now. But it's still very vague. Like these announcements will come two hours before they're out. Yeah. Like it's not. <laughs> yeah. Like they don't announce that new the new decks uh, is listing Slime T until it's listed. So I would like to see more transparency from the team, but yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Fastwin uh, on that that DAP guy, uh, the first episode. Uh, that'll be released probably within the next two days, uh, and so we look can, out for that DAP guy out there. Yep, look at look out for him, <laughs> and I could talk about Fastwin. It's like eight to ten minutes, uh, so that'll be just for you, AAA. Boom, boom, boom. Let's go. That's it. All right, so up next, we got a couple uh, short news items going on here. The first one is uh, about consensus, and this has been um, indicative of a lot of different companies in the crypto space, and it's mostly because of the market. Um, but consensus kind of had a very interesting, unique kind of story. There was a big Forbes write-up about it last week where uh, Lubin, who's one of the founders of Ethereum, he created this consensus model where he was essentially investing in the entire Ethereum ecosystem mm. with consensus. Yep. And we've worked with a, a couple of different branches of consensus. Uh, the guys over from Alpine Token Economics, brilliant guys. They're they're part of consensus. They're under that uh, token foundry kind of umbrella. And uh, it's a shame to see some of these companies downsizing, but maybe trimming the fat is something that needs to happen in the market right now. So we wanted to address that a little bit and just talk about you know what, what went wrong with that. Um, and I don't know, Q, what, what were your thoughts on that? I think the just the overall thought is Lubin has how do I put this he had so much money right he had that that I don't know how much of the total supply Lubin had of Ethereum Yeah well Forbes guessed at one point he was worth 100 billion 100 billion yeah wow which is amazing I mean good god so what happened was he they they grew and grew and grew on Ethereum's rise so essentially consensus had all of these different 
quote unquote spokes that uh, you know were trying to make money. There were different ventures within the umbrella of consensus, right. and then what it turned out to be is one Ethereum crashed, and as it was crashing, these spokes still existed. Till you get to right now, we're sitting at what at Ethereum? What I think it was like eighty eight dollars. Eighty eight dollars, and maybe three of the spokes are producing money. Yeah. So they have forty different uh, you know branches. And so you're losing on two fronts. You're not only paying people that aren't making money for you mm -hmm. which is i mean it's typical of any startup but that's a, that's one um you know that's one risk that you're taking and then you're also your war chest is shrinking considerably mm -hmm. because if your money is in ethereum and they and in the forbes article they talked about how they weren't sure uh necessarily how much he had sold how much he liquidated but it's i mean it's tough and you know a lot of companies are going through the same thing we've even gone through a lot of the same things here at ico alert with the market just crushing business and mm. crushing your war chest at the same time. Thankfully, we've been lucky enough to make some good financial moves and still be able to, you know, be here and pump out the roundtable for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the, if you haven't checked out the Forbes article, check it out because it's a really good inside scoop of kind of the rise and fall. I don't want to say fall, but the the rise and you know decline in a yeah. sense of what's going on at consensus. I think there was a lot of idealism, but no realism put into, you know, that company. Yeah, I think what they did is basically spread out into different venture projects. And <clears throat> I think people did kind of realize that some of them are not going to work out. Um, and the market conditions themselves kind of dictated that mm. route, you know, so um, some of them, you know, did great. And so basically, that's kind of like a VC model, right? Some of them will fail, some of them will be fine. So I think he's just diversifying into different venture projects, which is good. You know, he's a risk taker, right? So <clears throat> I don't think it's necessarily should not be looked at as a negative thing. You know, yeah, uh, it's just uh, you know he took an, uh, took a shot at you know yeah and, and, and making this happen, and maybe because of the market conditions, it, the timing was not maybe appropriate or whatnot. Right, and it's not like nothing good came out of. Yeah of consensus like metamask is a consensus mm. product there's a lot of good things that came out of it and i think that consensus overall is a really good thing it's just he you know he went balls to the wall took a shotgun approach mm. and in a bull market that's something you can get away with for a while but in a bear market you gotta trim the fat like i said and scale back i think it's just gonna it's just a natural market cycle thing that's gonna happen so i look forward to consensus to keep trucking and once the market turns around once ethereum you know, starts trending bullish again, along with the rest of the market. I, I think they'll continue to do some really good things for crypto overall. So overall bullish on yeah. the return yep. of consensus. Okay. Yeah, I definitely. Like I don't think they're even going in. Yeah, hodl, hodl. hodl. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of the reasons that we brought Dimitri, the, the expert here <laughs> mm -hmm. over on the show, um, and this is something we've talked about on the past in the show, is the rise of stable coins. Right. And there's been a lot of... Um, you know, competitors with Tether coming out now. And you recently came out with an article on stable coins. Yep. And you've got, you know, your financial background, you're, you're a genius, you're a master <laughs> in the lab. I always see you over there blush. doing your technical analysis and telling me what moves to make. And I'm always <laughs> too scared. And then you always make a billion dollars overnight. So without giving anyone financial advice, because we never do that here on yeah. the round table. Um, tell us like what is your thoughts on stable coins and give us kind of a synopsis of the article yeah absolutely so yeah the name of the article is uh, does the bear market prove the need for stable coins um, and so just kind of backtrack a little bit stable coin is essentially one token equals one USD 
or whatever, whichever currency it's pegged to. When this article, I specifically focus on USD because there's actually others that are coming out that are pegging to Swiss franc, AUD, and so on. So the um, essentially, we work with Tether most of, you know, most of the time that we know in crypto. And a lot of people didn't really ask too many questions, um, and it served its own purpose. Basically, the purpose of the stable coin is to give more nimbleness in the in your portfolio in the market. So, if you think of it this way, you know, uh, before uh, you had to essentially to uh, change your portfolio to switch up your positions and manage risk. Before you had to sell your altcoins into Ether or BTC, and then sell Ether and BTC, and then get into fiat. Mm-hmm. Which essentially causes ripple effect and, and down pressure in the market, you know, for the prices. So when when it, the risk aversion happens, um, people would or portfolio managers usually what what hedge funds would do is uh, move to a safer, stable environment, which is usually like fiat, you know, USD or commodities and so on. So um, because there were no stable coins around. Uh, that could be used on an institutional level. Like Tether is not really, it's not going to be used by hedge funds, right? Because it's not, you know, uh, we're not, we don't want to get into too much yeah. into that speculation. You know, there's a lot of things surrounding Tether that uh, raise eyebrows from like institutional uh, investors and hedge funds where they were my avoid, you know, interacting with it. So what I did is in this um, article basically described uh, four main stable coins that came out right now that follow the, um, uh, the main structure of like regulations uh, being audited, you know, the fact that they have the funds back in each token. Those are the most important things that kind of people were asking Tether and Tether try to deliver those things, you know, but they had problems with banking, you know, they mm-hmm. have to jump banks, right? And, and institutional investors and hedge, uh, you know, hedge funds and so on, they're not going to deal with, you know, a company that can't have a stable environment, right? They don't want to deal with that stuff. They want to just have a a working tool basically do you think tether will get it together or do you think tether will with the competitors now arising just tether will completely fall off the map i, I don't think it'll fall um but it's uh, you'll see that definitely the um, the market share is being distributed between mm. the others so you see right now even the tether is getting burned you know because to stay with the peg one to one to a dollar oh, wow. you know before we we saw tether being printed right because right. there was a demand for tether right so we see constantly printing tether to keep up with the demand but now it's actually reverse they're actually burning because uh, people are getting out of tether into perhaps you know other stable coins mm-hmm. that i've described in the which so let me ask you something because that doesn't make sense to me if tether was actually audited and everything was kosher with the books why would they have to burn tether wouldn't it still be wouldn't they still have that amount of us dollar in the bank so, like, if you gave me $10 and I gave you 10 Tether mm-hmm. that are tied to the $10 you gave me, and then all of a sudden you are selling those, there's more selling pressure on the 10 Tether I gave you, I should still have that $10 in the bank at the end of the day. You do, yeah. But so, the, but are those... they burning it and then, like, using the U.S. dollars or just, I guess, taking it off the books for that? Or Right, yeah. It's Essentially, it's set up in this segregated account. That's the way it should be. And um, essentially, if uh, if I sell tether, then that should be you know, that amount of dollars should be wired out of that segregated mm, account. Okay, that is into another account, <clears throat> right? Okay, yeah. So that's the idea. That's kind of how the um, actual like stable coins are set up, like um, Gemini, uh, the Circle USD. 
you know, essentially they have that set up where they're either they are the trust company um, or they work with the trust company that holds a specific segregated account that holds these funds. Mm. Uh, and that token is just uh, just an infrastructure to transfer f- funds. So it's actually another cool uh, thing about stablecoins is the fact that, you know, transferring USD, you know, between, let's say, countries or different places. Mm-hmm. Right now, it takes, you know, business days to to transact that. But in crypto, it's 24-7. You can send that anytime, you know, and you can have the funds like this. So, you know, one thing we talked about in the office a lot as the ICO craze was kind of, you know, going through its cycle, its own cycle, was how all these uh, companies raised funds in Ether. Right. And then they had to sell that Ether and it was like a kind of a cascading effect because right. you saw the price of ether going down and all these companies raised in eth so in order to you know get funds to keep the company going they had to sell the eth into fiat is do stablecoins solve that issue yeah that's that's a good point so this this gives them a tool to to use as a hedge mm-hmm. when they're you know when they're raising funds so that can be used as a hedge essentially when you're raising that ether you know you can keep it stable by moving into a stable coin um, and this way, the value of your fundraising will not fluctuate essentially as much as you know it fluctuates obviously in the market. That so it's a key it's a key point basically. The stable coins address the volatility of cryptocurrency. Mm. That is basically the point that I'm kind of beating in my article. Yeah, no, that makes sense. What are some of the other um, stable coins? Were they all pegged to the U.S. dollar too, or were some of them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the ones that cover the four main ones, uh, Paxo, uh, Paxos, uh, Gemini, uh, TrueUSD, and CircleUSD, those are the main ones that are really the powerhouse, mm. um, you know. And those are coins. all properly audited? Yeah, absolutely. So we have um, we have Circle specifically is actually backed by Goldman, which is, mm. you know, a pretty big player. Um, What's Goldman? The... The sacks, <laughs> the sacks, the, sacks. <laughs> the biggest sack on Wall Street. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, um, and you know, they're they're they got essentially approval from New York regulators, financial regulators. You know, I mean, Wall Street is located there, so it, it, they got blessings from them to operate. You know, and have this setup of stable coin. So they have Goldman backed. You know, they have trust companies that hold these funds. They have smart contract audited. Um, and yeah, the constantly some of them actually have uh, the ones that have uh, a trust company. Let's say that that is internal, not external, mm-hmm. not a third party. They have uh, auditing every month to make sure that there's accounting proper. You know, in terms of one to one peg Got for it. every token that's outstanding there, there's a dollar there mm-hmm. uh, for it. So essentially, all these things are laid out. It seems like every, all, the infrastructure is there basically to you know to to have a a, a good stable coin environment. Uh, now it's up to these entities that you know are regulated and regulators to really enforce the proper, you know, kind of procedure or, or not. Because you know, um, it, it sounds great on paper, but you know, we've seen before where regulators have failed uh, or turned a blind eye, on, or so on. You know, where we had mortgage crisis. You know, where we had regulations in place, we had everything in place, but you know, things still when you know went south mm. so i i described in the article basically yeah here's all these things they have done which is great and absolutely i think is the maximum thing, uh, thing you can do in this environment to kind of show transparency show that you're you know you're actually doing it right 
but now it's going to be up to regulators to and and all these entities to behave ethically. Yeah. Well, ethics has always been a challenge for anyone in the finance industry. It's humans Wall in general. Street. Humans in general is, <laughs> is a good way to put it. And speaking of ethical challenges, uh, I wanted to bring this up while you're on the show too, because you remember this specific project, blockchain terminal. Uh, yeah. It was in the headlines today. <laughs> and I don't know if you have the article handy, Q, you should bring it up. But mm. uh, they actually had like a massive issue. They uh, turned out their their founder was using uh, a pen name and you said he even dyed his hair. Dyed his hair. So here's I've got a good tip and that this is never investment advice because we don't do that on the show. But personally, with my own finances, if a crypto company or an ICO ever sponsors Teslas or Lambos or something, did they and do that? Parks them, yeah. Didn't they do that at Consensus? Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe they had Lambos. I remember Lambos outside of. Consensus, if they sponsor but, uh, cars that are parked outside of an event, just don't. I would never put my money anywhere near that mm, project. Absolutely, I completely agree with that. So, uh, blockchain terminal, and it seemed like a good project i mean they had the terminal up and working mm -hmm. you said you saw a demo of it right yeah so um the first demo that i saw was at uh, one of the after parties at consensus and they had a pretty nice setup there they had big screens you know wow. big monitors you know just like a trading room effect you know so and um the platform looked amazing it was a very sophisticated platform because it showed the connection to over a hundred different exchanges in crypto which really caught my attention because um, we, when you can when you can aggregate prices, you know, and see where crypto is priced, because there is that arbitrage opportunity on different exchanges. Mm -hmm. So if you connect um, these multiple exchanges together, you can actually route orders to specific exchanges and trade from one single platform, mm -hmm. which is fascinating. Uh, one thing that in effects uh, what my company did is our platform offered the ability for you to get the best rates by connecting you to top. 15 banks that quote these currencies. So, and they would pick the best buy and sell price, um, which this way you ensure and you get in the best rate. Right. So same thing, you know, could be happening for the block uh, blockchain terminal mm. with their infrastructure. That's that's why it caught my attention. I was playing around with it. I was talking to the person. He, he was honest. He did tell me that this was a beta, beta stage. They only have like 13 exchanges connected to it right now mm. to execute orders. But they're streaming pricing, you know, still from a hundred exchanges. So they wanted to wait until it becomes stable to to give the ability to traders to execute orders actually on those or at other least exchanges. That was their story. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, can you so read read a quote from this article about this guy. Yeah. So essentially, it says, then uh, this is from the article. Who I th I think these guys broke the actual story. The block crypto. Uh, the the actual quote is blockchain terminal employees discovered McDonald. So Sean McDonald was so the even pseudonym. the employees didn't know. No, and apparently when the employees would ask questions or you know get too close to finding the real answer, he pushed them out. So you know only the employees that Crazy. essentially didn't go about you know being Just like House of Cards yeah Inspector yeah. Gadget yeah exactly. <laughs> so it says blockchain terminal employees discovered McDonald was actually Boaz Manor, a disgraced <laughs> asset manager from Canada. <laughs> So Boaz ran Portis Alternative Asset Management, a firm that managed $800 million at its height. And it says, as reported by the Star, Portis misappropriated about $106 million and $8.8 .8 million was sent to companies in Hong Kong to purchase diamonds. Those diamonds were picked up by Manor's sister, according to the court documents. Those diamonds are also now missing. <laughs> so essentially, this Manor guy got barred from the securities industry. 
Um, yeah. But I guess if you dye your hair and beard, it's all and good. Change your name. What did he yeah. change his name to? McDonald. Sean McDonald. <laughs> Sean McDonald. So these people got sent the these old terminals. McDonald. Paid for these terminals and and what they. So no. So yeah. So, so actually, when I asked them, I was like, okay, great. How do I buy this? Right. Uh-huh. I was like, this is amazing. Oh, you were gonna be a yeah, be, yeah. I wanted, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to get in on it. Uh, and he actually told me he was like, listen, actually, we're opening this up for free to traders um, because the idea was that the traders are gonna come in, they're gonna drive more adoption and kind of test out the platform, um, help with the user interface and get rid of bugs and so on. Um, so I was like, wow. So you get it for free? Great. You know, let me know when it's available. Um, and we're trying to kind of get in touch after that, but. Didn't, things didn't really work out. Mm. Um, so I think from the idea is that they were trying to offer it for free, but they were going to charge for certain apps on it. Um, mm. So certain apps and add-ons um, in the terminal would actually cost things, but mm. the access to the terminal was free. Right. Well, let that be a lesson to anyone out there. It doesn't matter how legit the company seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy, I mean, maybe he was trying to build a legit company after all, but uh, not a good... And I mean, if you're using a pen name, if you're changing your name, being that shady, I, I, you don't deserve to. And, you know, this is what kind of pisses me off. You have these these situations happen, and this is where the SEC will come in and point to situations like this and say, hey, you guys can't, you know, protect yourselves, so we have to come in here and regulate the whole industry. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that that is the biggest fear is that essentially if, we, if crypto community can't self-regulate, then we're going to have to face harsh regulations mm-hmm. where they will overshoot regulations and essentially slow down the development yep. of the whole crypto you know, industry. It's kind of like what happened in FX as well, where a bunch of people got hurt because of things that happened. You know, let's not get into the <laughs> details here. But uh, yeah, the regulations here in the U.S. became very, very strict for FX, um, and which essentially kind of stumped the retail market for trading. Got it. All right. Well, uh, Dima, we appreciate you coming on the show. Dimitri. 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 Um, And we're going to take a quick break here. And after that, uh, Q and I will be back. We have Michael Mole. He's the CPO and co-founder of a platform called Redium. They are tokenized real estate, and they've got a couple properties already that they're ready to distribute. And with as little as $100, uh, you could get in on this. So it's kind of like the future of real estate. Mm. Uh, We're going to talk to Michael Mole. Dimitri, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks, Dimitri. Thank you for the invite. Boom. Hey, guys. Before we dive into the interview today, we wanted to give you a quick heads up at ICOalert.com. We are actually running a top 40 blockchain influencers uh, little poll, I guess you could call it, little vote. Little top 40 vote action. Hit, yeah, I like it. polls. Mm. Vote or die. Submit your nominations for your favorite cryptocurrency or blockchain professional. Boom. So we got a bunch of different categories. You don't have to fill out every single one. I think there's like legal, leader, influencer. I'm voting for you. Programmer. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I'll vote for you. Thanks. So top 40, uh, we're going to have it. We're going to do a little thing at the end of the year with, uh, you know, announcing the results. And if you have someone that you think's made a big impact on the crypto sphere, on the blockchain sphere, be sure to head on over. We'll put a link down in the description. You can vote for whoever you want. And uh, yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> all right, roundtablers, the moment we've all been waiting for. We have Michael Mall. He is the CPO and co-founder of Redium, the tokenized real estate offering coming out pretty soon. Uh, you know, we're here to talk to Michael. Michael, how are you doing, first of all? 
I'm doing amazing. It's a rainy day. We call it liquid sunshine in Vancouver, um, but otherwise things are great. We're just ending up a strong year, uh, getting everything done. Nice. And we've been hearing that you guys have been all over the map. Uh, we met some of your team in a couple different locations, Boston, Malta, all kinds of places. So you guys are definitely on the move. Uh, and, you know, we're happy to sit here and talk about your project with you. So one of the first questions we usually always ask everyone that comes on to the show is, how did you end up in the blockchain space? Are you someone that has always been interested in the tech and Bitcoin maximalist type person? Or have you been more of a traditional uh, real estate guy and then recently got into the space because you saw the opportunity? Uh, that's actually a great question. So personally, my background is it comes from the technology side. I started two startups previous before. Um, I love technology, specifically mobile applications and their use cases to reach, you know, thousands, if not millions of people. Um, so really dive, dove into that. My business partners had both dove into real estate. Uh, our one co-founder, Thomas Park, uh, has over 14 years of uh, residential re real estate experience, sold over half a billion dollars. Um, so he's an expert in that. Uh, our other co-founder was part of REITs and was also fixing and flipping houses. So they had a lot of experience on, on the real estate side. My experience was primarily on the technology side. And so when it came to blockchain, I was really researching, you know, what the revolution of a distributed ledger and immutable ledger and how that could be put to use. And coming from Kenya originally, I could see that this was a great tool that can upgrade lots of systems that are either failing or struggling to keep up with the 21st century. And uh, one of those uh, from my research was land titles and uh, looking at the problems with land title fraud, uh, the you know, how long it takes to transfer a title. For example, in Philippines, uh, it's 26 documents and five government offices for you to physically transfer a title from one wow. person to another. And that's 30 to 90 days. That's so crazy. that's, it's crazy. And then, so if you imagine over 26 documents, you're looking at like multiple chances of either mistakes, fraud, delays, etc. And so, you know, there's 20 countries around the world who have this problem. Then the other half just have the problem of it taking time and records getting lost, etc. So we saw using distributed ledger technology to fix the problems and make land titles more efficient. And we actually won a hackathon here in Vancouver uh, in, 20, uh, in 2016, and uh, 2017, sorry. And that was uh, a major moment for us. And we thought, hey, this is amazing. Let's take this forward. But, you know, when we came forward, we thought, okay, what's the extension from land titles? Uh, you know, then you can actually have multiple people owning that title because you can digitally sign them on, tokenizing the real estate. And that really caught the attention of, uh, my co-founder, Thomas Park, who has been a very successful uh, real estate uh, agent uh, and entrepreneur here in Vancouver. His mom, uh, great example, 75 years old, uh, saw Thomas make a lot of money for one of his clients in a year, made him a million dollars flipping houses. She's like, here's $30,000. Can you make me the same returns? Like, put my money to work. And he's like, <laughs> I can't I can't help you. Yeah, <laughs> I can't help you. you know, that's not enough money. And she's like, well, you know what? The bank's going to give her a mortgage, so she's going to go in with, you know, six of her girlfriends. And mm -hmm. Thomas is like, you're all over 75. You're going to have, you know, six old ladies on a title. That's huge risk. If somebody dies, if somebody wants to get out, there's poor liquidity. And then we were like sitting there and, you know, we've all had situations, you know, when we're thinking about how do we, you know, co-own, co-invest into real estate. And blockchain was just really right time, right place where we said, okay, we could tokenize the real estate and we can deal with, with the big problems around it, which I'll get to later. And, and we got going and uh, 16 conferences and nine countries later, we, we have our beta and uh, we're really excited to launch that. 
So blockchain REITs have been, you know, a hot topic um, among the entire industry. We've heard about REITs on the blockchain for a while now, since 2017 and probably before. Uh, how close are we to actually seeing one of these? Uh, and you guys said you have a beta coming out, but how close are we to actual users being able to invest in real estate on the blockchain? So that's actually a great question. So when we looked at it, you know, the there's there's three main problems uh, with real estate investing. So one is is getting enough capital to go in. Um, so whether that's a REIT or a family office or a fix and flip. The second is uh, liquidity, finding real liquidity, ability to get out of your position. And the third thing is compliance. And so I think the reason why uh, blockchain REITs and blockchain real estate investing has not really jumped out you know, off the page is because of that third factor compliance, right? This is mm. um, the uh, securities regulation around this, this type of activity. These are securities. So every, um, every blockchain project that is issuing tokens is a securities activity and or is a security token offering. And so that needs two things. One, it needs the SEC or the Canadian equivalent or whichever country are in guidelines around raising money. What's really exciting, though, is... Over the last five years, Canada, United States and major countries have now outlined crowdfunding regulations. So uh, there's Reg CF, which allows non-accredited investors to uh, to pool their money together and invest in private securities. And there's a limit there. So in America, you can do up to a million uh, twice a year. Uh, in Canada, it's $250,000 twice a year. And then there's limitations on how much of those people can invest. So state by state. One state says you can invest up to 10% of your income or $10,000. In Canada, province by province will say you can invest $1,500 per deal, up to X amount of deals, or $10,000 maximum. So all of these rules are in place to allow the retail investors to get in. There's rules around accredited investors as well, but then you also have to make sure that those people are still accredited in the time period that, they've, that they're eligible, right? So if you were a credit investor last year, meaning you earn more than $250,000 and have a million dollars in assets, if those numbers change this year, you're no longer accredited. So mm. we built a compliance engine that deals with all of those issues. So every trade becomes compliant, right? So this is know your customer, KYC, this is anti-money laundering, uh, this is the legal registrations and bills needed for the security to actually be sold, the marketplace registration, you can't just have a website and promote these broker dealer licenses, exempt market dealer, and then finally there's that final a trade that needs to happen where someone goes to buy, we do a quick check on all of the facts. Are they eligible in the right state? Is this offering eligible? Blah, blah, blah. And then that goes through. So there are a lot of groups and there's good competition in the space. You know, um, you know, one of the groups, you know, we give a shout out to is something like Harbor, but they're really focused just on a back end compliance. But those type of things are necessary. What we've done at Retium is built them all into one crowdfunding marketplace, secondary trading exchange and a compliance engine that keeps everything um, SEC compliant. Wow, there are a ton of moving pieces in real <laughs> estate that I didn't realize. I guess when I when I bought my house, I had to sign papers until my hand felt like it was going to fall off. So I guess thinking back on that, maybe it is a little bit more complicated than people give credit for. But you guys have done what seems like an excellent job navigating all that sort of um, that tangled yes, web of of complexity. So uh, as far as I know, though, you guys already have some properties on the platform that you're, I mean, I know you're beta testing right now, but what can you tell us about the properties that are you're, you're planning to um, distribute and, you know, what kind of properties are you guys looking for as looking for as the program moves forward? Amazing. And so this is something I'm super excited about. And, you know, to your last question, 
you know, we, we're really ready to go. Uh, in the next 30 to 60 days, we're going to be unloading. We currently have uh, $830 million worth of assets that are going to be listed on the retail platform. They've already been signed off by the asset owners. So these are hotels, uh, single-family uh, apartment buildings, uh, individual condos, um, uh, uh, industrial parks. So we have a, a really widespread um, they've all been vetted. So that's a big thing um, about our platform. You know, we could have added another, you know, $500 million, but really we want to make sure every single deal that goes on has a clear title, has really good um, investment hy- uh, hypothesis, et cetera. Um, one of, you know, a notable uh, property is uh, Oheka Castle, which is the second largest residential uh, property in the United States. Uh, they're doing a massive 180 uh, luxury condo development to attach the castle. This is the castle that the great Gatsby uh, was inspired by. Taylor Swift, you know, has done multiple music videos at. Um, we then have our REITs um, out of uh, Scottsdale and uh, Vegas that are going to be listed on the platform. We have Modular Home, a modular home company that uh, is like best in class, won a worldwide awards for sustainable housing design, and they're going to build eco resorts around the world. Um, and so they can use our platform as a white label to crowdfund. So a lot of exciting properties. Um, the big thing is that we want to have something in there uh, for everyone. Uh, but we also want to make sure that the offerings allow both accredited investors to get in, but non-accredited investors. Because the big idea is blockchain can make it safer, but you know, fra- fractional ownership can also democratize real estate where the average person, mm. what we see, there's actually a trillion dollars of sleeping capital. This is millennials, seniors, people in the developing world. You know, the average U.S. millennial has $5,000 saved. At 90 million millennials, that's over $540 billion. Sitting in bank accounts, buying avocado toast, going on holidays. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) because they don't know how, you know, to really put it to use. And I think REITs are a great first start, but REITs don't have the marketing engine. I've never heard of a REIT even go on a podcast or mm-hmm. be on social media or be in the public eye. So I think the first even uh, disruptive moment for our industry, fintech, prop tech, blockchain tech, uh, real estate in general, is just to be in the public eye, to get out there and tell people that they are ways that are compliant and, and safe to invest in real estate. And, you know, using the traditional instruments like REITs, but also, you know, coming up with new instruments. So Mm. one of those being, you know, a new family trust method. So imagine you have a family office that's, you know, been invested in some industry and has been rich for generations. And now they own hundreds of properties and they have seven, you know, 49 um, uh, beneficiaries of this. So we have a group like this. Think of them maybe in shopping malls and they need to figure out how to divide all this between all the people. So, you know, it doesn't get messy at a will time. So what they tokenize, they give everybody shares across those properties, and then they create liquidity. So if Bobby Jr. Jr. wants to sell his portion, he doesn't have to, you know, basically fight with his cousins and sisters to like to liquidate the whole property. He can he can find liquidity and do that. So that's something there. Another option will be, you know, family trust or, um, you know, a community trust where people can, you know, pull their money together, buy properties and decide what they want to do with those properties. Do they want to create a new timeshare way where they rent the property out on Airbnb half the time and then they break up the other half of the year between the token holders. These are the type of things that are very exciting that people have been suggesting to us that we haven't yet uh, fully dived into, but we just see as our platform goes forward, uh, we're going to continue to innovate on the way people want to buy, own, and share real estate. So so speaking of being in the public eye, uh, you guys are on NASDAQ recently. Uh, how was that experience? 
Oh, the Nasdaq uh, interview was amazing. Uh, it was like a, a kind of dream come true. Like I've you know always been, you know, following tech. You know, since I was very young, and uh, you know, we eventually one day, you know, fingers crossed, want to list, and uh, it it was magical. You know, Times Square, all the energy, um, and I think we we did a good job, um, and it's given us amazing exposure because again. Uh, you know, those are the type of interviews that people come to you and say, hey, I saw that interview. Oh, I finally got a chance to sit down and learn what you're doing. It's super cool. And it brings this level of, of uh, visibility, but also uh, a level of, of credibility where people can actually take the time and listen. And in the end, you know, we're here to win hearts and minds and, and, and onboard users. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was awesome. Well, you're definitely in the big leagues now. I mean, I don't know about NASDAQ, but this is a roundtable. And right. uh this, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's an exclusive <laughs> club here, man. This is actually the yeah, second. Okay, I've been, Go ahead. I've been on your newsletter since uh, day one, guys. Uh, nice. It's we awesome appreciate to be, to be on the show. Um, you know, when Laura told me we were going to get on the podcast, I was like, this is, is it the same guys? Uh, so I'm, I'm stoked. <laughs> yeah. And we, you, this is actually, uh, you're, you're one of the second guests to have gone on a major mainstream media show and then come on here afterwards. So we, we must be doing something right on our end if we're getting the same lineups as you know, NASDAQ or CNBC. So we appreciate you coming on, Michael, for sure. Um, Thank you so much. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about um, is, you know, if you could put it in in kind of layman's terms, like what is a REIT? Um, Because the way that I've seen it, and when I first started in in the crypto space, looking into how you can tokenize real estate, I thought it was an excellent idea. I mean, you walk around a place, even like downtown Pittsburgh, and you look at a high-rise building and you're like, wow, if you just look at one person's rent and then you multiply it by every single room in there, that person that owns that building must be making a fortune. But there's no way, unless I was a settler in 1700, that I could ever <laughs> own that property. And so I, I think a REIT and the way that it's being tokenized is an amazing thing. So can you explain a little bit, like in layman's terms, to a millennial, someone like me who might you know, eat avocado toast, uh, how, like <laughs> what's the happen. benefit for, for us? Amazing. So, uh, you know, first off, uh, REITs are one of the templates that we have on Retium, um, but they are a great vehicle. So a REIT is a fund um, that has some special uh, rules around it. Um, and here, here are the rules. So a REIT is allowed to either be a public or private REIT. Um, it can raise money from the public um, from different investors. If it's, if it's a public REIT, then you know, non-accredited investors get in. If it's a private REIT, then there are rules in there. It pools a bunch of money together and its sole objective to, for it to, be, to remain a REIT and has special tax uh, status is that it has to do 75% of its activity must be in buying, owning, selling real estate, right? The other rule is, and it changes state by state, so don't quote me, at least 90% of all income generated from the REIT must be paid out as dividends to uh, the, the, um, the shareholders in the REIT. And so it's a great uh, shell vehicle to pool a bunch of money together. You know, it's the ultimate crowdfunding engine. Pool a bunch of money together, go out there, have a management team that's super efficient in picking the real estate, pick real estate assets, buy them, hold them, sell them, fix and flip them, et cetera. And then what REITs then, they get split in between, like, you know, you can have cross-functional REITs, you can have hospitality REITs, you can have industrial, hotel, residential, ho- um, uh, commercial, um, and across the board. So it's this great vehicle shell, but like I said, the biggest thing with REITs is that it's the way that they market out to the public. They use 
a, a massive pipeline of intermediaries to get your money. So you might be putting your money in a 401k or the mutual fund or the financial planner or any of these people. And then those people are working with groups who are working with groups who are investing in REITs as part of your portfolio. And so because that's been a very efficient system, you know, up till now, and, and you know, it's still working, but because of that, they don't have direct exposure to the customer. And so what we're looking at is allowing REITs and other real estate groups to market directly because of the internet, because, you know, now 4 billion people around the world have a mobile phone with internet and a processor that could take, you know, the man, the first man to the moon mm -hmm. again, type of thing. We can now, and then we have social media, we have blockchain, we can now market directly to these people efficiently. And so I think that's now where REIT 2.0 is going to be coming and other templates, right? So we have templates where you can split an individual building by yourself. We have mortgage templates. We have uh, new build construction financing templates. So, you know, um, and, and then of, of course uh, the REITs as well. So that's what a REIT is. Um, and I think, you know, our industry is really going to give them the exposure they deserve and going to make it cheaper and easier for people to onboard. So I'll give you an example. You have a private REIT. Uh, it has here in Canada, the minimum is $25,000 to to buy in. So that's high. That's a big cutoff. You might have to be an accredited investor for another REIT. But the big thing is it costs that REIT up to $3,000 in legal and admin fees to process your paperwork and get you onboarded, right? Mm. So that's a big thing that property tech, fintech, and, you know, retail included is solving is that we're digitizing that. Your ID gets scanned. You know, your your KYC, your AML is done digitally. There's no faxing back and forth uh, across the table. It doesn't have to be a person manually ticking boxes and things like that. Um, and it also reduces the time for the lawyers because then you bring the lawyers a full case where they have to check over a few things and be able to say, yep, this is compliant versus actually doing all this admin work. So that's where the real um, savings on the, on mm. the internal side are going to come. And we're hoping that that's going to allow for a new type of company or entrepreneur to create REITs and other real estate investment um, companies that can then, you know, advertise at scale and uh, onboard people much cheaper than the traditional and really shake up the industry. We, we absolutely love that. We, I think what you saw in 2017 was people decentralizing everything. You can decentralize bananas. Uh, <laughs> and what we love to say in the office is that we want to hear why uh, the blockchain is a good use case and why it, it, it why decentralization matters and you just laid it out perfectly uh, tell us what's an emerging market for real estate right now what are, what are the cities that are emerging and where where do you have most of your properties uh, by percentage right so I would say we we're looking um, Arizona um, is emerging because there's a lot of you know, they call Silicon Prairie. There's a lot of um, <laughs> <didn't hear> that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Silicon <laughs> Prairie, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of you know companies saying, "Hey, we need headquarters, you know, and offices where people can afford an apartment, afford a single family house, uh, you know, good standard of living, you know, outside of California." Um, so we're looking at places like um, like uh, Vegas. Then you're looking at new places like Cleveland, where it's like fix and flip, like really, really cheap houses. You know, you're buying a thirty to fifty thousand dollar house flipping it for 80,000. So there's lots of little pockets. Um, and, you know, we, we have a great group of advisors and people around us who are giving us a lot of intel. We chose to beachhead in Canada, United States uh, markets, and specifically like those few markets I told you, New York is always strong, California is always great. But because of the rule of law, 
really good judicial systems, really good business um, infrastructure. You know, it, you know, when we're dealing with an, emer- with an emerging technology, you want to make sure that the, the systems in that country really work. So there's some, you know, their best, you know, emerging real estate markets that are also outside of North America, but there's those issues of, you know, what's their title registry like? What's their rule of law like? What's their uh, finance infrastructure like? And so there's a lot, a lot more that needs to be done, but it also gives us a massive opportunity, right? So when you're looking at countries like Thailand or Indonesia, you know, where we do have uh, prospective customers uh, that want to participate with us, you know, it's going to be more than just our little platform. We're going to be looking at how do we enhance the entire ecosystem. And so it's going to need, you know, if we talk about Philippines, you talk about places uh, in Africa. So is that we go in there with our infrastructure, but then we, as an industry, expand that infrastructure. So this is where we're talking about the digitization of title registries, the um, digitization of identity cards, like all this infrastructure that needs to support people uh, to be able to uh, to participate in, in, in kind of the future of real estate investing. Indonesia has an example. We have a prospective partner that we're talking to, um, and they, for example, have, they serve 3.5 million unbanked people. So these are people without a credit card or a bank account. They have uh, 35,000 uh, 35, kiosks across Indonesia. You can go in with, with physical cash, fiat, paper cash, and pay for your phone bill, pay your utility bills, and they'll go on their little iPad and, and complete the transaction for you. You can then also do online shopping. They have an iPad with like some sort of Instacart, uh, Amazon thing. You can buy what you want and pay with cash. So we're looking at how can we propose to them that we want to be an app on that little kiosk. So these people, even if they don't have a bank account, they can go give their $100 and buy real estate and then cash out from that point. So these are kind of the innovations that we're looking at in emerging markets that could really impact millions of people and let them participate. So it's really exciting. That's awesome, Michael. I, I think that, uh, as Q said, you, you guys hit the head or hit the nail on the head as far as you know why blockchain, why decentralization, and then on top of that, the stuff that you just said about emerging markets. That's really exciting stuff. I know I've worked with uh, you know credit card and and payments kind of all around the world, and emerging markets and the unbanked was always kind of a, a hurdle um, for you guys to give that sort of liberty to people that otherwise w- wouldn't be able to you know, look into real estate or look into stuff like this. I think that's an excellent sort of initiative that you guys are going for. So, Michael, before Thank we you. sign off here, um, why don't you let our, our fans, the roundtablers, know a little bit more about the sale and how they can participate or where they can find more information about Redium. Perfect. So, so yeah, we're going to be doing a security token offering. Uh, it's going to be happening next year. Uh, you're going to be able to find out about this at retium.com. Uh, we're, you know, we're targeting, um, you know, February, March, uh, we want to make sure that we're hundred percent compliant. That's our most important thing. Our platform is, and we want our security token offering to be go to redium.com. You're going to be able to look at properties. You're going to be able to get, get our app in the new year, um, get on our mailing list. And we're going to be, we send out amazing weekly updates, um, every two weeks. And, uh, uh, you're going to be the first to know if you're on that list, uh, about our offering. Uh, we were in again nine, you know, sixteen conferences, nine countries. So we're probably going to be on a tear again next week. So uh, next year. So you you probably want to look forward to that and maybe link up with us uh, where wherever we are. And it'll be great to see you guys in person. All right, Q, you awesome. ready to become real estate moguls? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> All right, <laughs> amazing. Well, Mike, that's it for us. Uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, and congratulations! Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Congratulations yeah, on your so marriage much. as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah, and you guys have a great winter holiday. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and and uh, yeah, Happy New Year. If we don't talk to you, thanks, Mike.